So what we're going to talk about this afternoon is navigating the future, and I'm going to unpack how we're going to do that. Um, but I really, I try to centre my thinking around what Jago said this weekend was about, and I just want to remind you of that as a place to start. It says, after all the storms of the last two years, we are gathering as a whole church for a weekend to help us navigate the cross-currents of life. Just think, not, you don't need to share with anyone, but just think quietly to yourself now. What are the cross-currents of your life at this moment? What are the things which perhaps feel like blowing you from the side? What are the, your desires? What are the things that you're hoping for that perhaps coming on a weekend like this, you're thinking, oh, I'd love to give some space to this. I would love God to speak into this area of my life. I would love to, you know, get a word or a picture or something that might help. Just to kind of, after the kind of lunch and sitting with the heaviness of the chocolate desserts or whatever you had, just to almost kind of say, okay, well, in this next 45, 50 minutes or so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to think about those cross points, think about those things which perhaps are directing the future of my life. Because that's what I want us to think about. I just wanted to name a few things before we get into this subject, just as a way of kind of clearing the ground. I was praying um, for this talk, I was thinking about what God might want me to say to you, and as I was driving out here, I was just praying again, and just trying to think, is there anything that we should just clear out of the way, Lord, before we dig into this? And one of the things, and this may not be a word for everyone, but one of the things I think is, perhaps for some of you, you've heard something like this spoken over you, that, you know what, ministry is not for you. That in some way you are not called. And first I want to say that's not biblical for somebody to say that to you. But secondly, I, I want you to push that to the side to say, actually, I'm not going to allow some previous comments which have been spoken over me to dictate how I listen today. Secondly, um, I think for some people here, you might say you're in a, a job at the moment, you're in some kind of workplace, and you're thinking to yourself, I would love to be a witness in this place. Would, but it is such a struggle And particularly you might feel, actually, I've been there for a while and I don't quite know if I've gone too far down the line, so to speak, in order to be an effective witness moving forward. And again, I'd want to say to that, let's push that to the side and say, actually, God, is there something new that you want to speak to me about today? Is there a new way that you want me to think about my work or where I socialise, where my community is, which would give me a fresh vision? And for some of you... Maybe you've come along to this and thought, navigating the future, I've not got a clue. I do not know what my future looks like. I know, I meet some people and they're like, they know exactly what their life is planned out, but not me. And you're thinking, you know, I've just got no idea, but I'm just clinging to this thought that I'm going to be faithful. And that might be you, and I want to kind of honour that as well. And say, today, my time now is not about giving kind of a crystal clear plan for you to follow, To say, this is what you should do. This is how you should approach it. And these are the four steps that each of you need to do. I'm I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to encourage you to cling to being faithful. Because whatever those cross-currents of your life are, we need that faith. We need faith in Jesus Christ as the thing that we cling to. So I do think that your topic, I've noticed some people wearing Navigate sweaters. It's been branded this weekend already uh, with sweaters and all things like that. This topic of navigate, I think, is such a great one to be thinking about because without knowing many of you here, I know that the last two years have been crazy. And let's face it, things are continuing to change and evolve. There's events happening in the Ukraine. So much is happening. But I do think it's hugely valuable to ask, okay, Lord, 
So what might the future hold for me? What are you asking me to be faithful in? Where are you asking me to step out or step back? And how should I think about those things? My own life has been a vocational journey. And I say that not because it's been a journey where I've gone from like bad secular stuff to good Christian ministry or anything like that. But it's been a journey where I've sought to be faithful to God in the ups and downs and just pursue God at each step of the way. And just ask myself the question, okay, well, how can I be effective in what God has called me to at this time? As Jago said, my current role is as the Dean of Sigmalitis. Really, what I do in that role is I, I help people discern what God is calling them to. I help them listen to say, okay, well, God is asking you to do this. How can we help prepare you for that? Or how can we walk alongside as you do that? And people normally come and they'll say, you know, how can I make a good decision about this? How do I hear from God in this? What if I make the wrong choice? And so these are the kind of questions I want us to consider today. We're going to do this in two ways, really. First, we're going to take the biblical foundations and I'm going to unpack some scripture together. And we'll look at our attitude and our approach. So first, the attitude. We're going to look at, okay, well, what inner work must we do? If we're thinking about navigating the future, what work must we do inside of ourselves to make sure we're headed in the right direction? And then we're going to think about approach and say, okay, well, drawing, and this is teaching from Peter, drawing from Peter, what can we learn about how we approach whatever might come next? And then having done that work, we're going to look at, okay, specifics around vocation and calling. And if we've got time, we'll we'll build in a bit of Q&A at the end as well, if you have questions. But what I I wanted to do it in that order, because I think there's always a temptation when we think about our futures to think about, okay, what do I want to do? And how can I shoehorn some scripture in to justify that decision? And that's the wrong way around. So what I want us to do is I want us to take scripture and say, okay, let's, let's let God's word speak into us, speak into what we're facing, speak into things that we are very clear that we want to do, but perhaps we've never thought about. Let's allow scripture to do that, and then let's think about how we might approach what God is calling us to do and think of some application. So it's just a very simple approach. We're going to read 1 Peter 4, verse 1 to 11. I think it's on the screen behind us. If you've got a Bible, I'd love just to encourage me to see you get those Bibles out, if it's on your phone. Uh, do look on your phone. If no other reason, check that I've not manipulated the scriptures or changed them. Um, and also I'm going to do something else which is a bit naughty as well, but I think we've got time for it. And that is we're going to read the scripture three times. Okay? I've sat with this word for the past three weeks really. It's really inside of me, but you didn't know what I was going to speak on. And so what I want to do is I'm going to read it out, and I'm going to read it a second time, and the third time you're going to read it in silence to yourselves. Because I want to lodge it in your hearts so that when we begin to unpack it, you're not drawing of just the speaker. It's like he's thought about this. But in some way, it's gone inside of you. Okay, it will take time. But if we do nothing else today, reading God's word together is going to be a wonderful investment. So, 1 Peter 4, we're going to read from verse 1 to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude... Because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised 
that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's just read that again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Just read it silently in your hearts one more time.
Amen. Sorry if I've gone too quickly. So, we've got these words resonating in our heads now. Maybe you've asked these kind of questions. Who are the people I should learn from? And Peter will answer that question. Am I following the will of God for my life? Peter will answer that question. Can I live differently to the world around me? Peter will address that question. What are the habits that will shape my future? Peter again answers that question. In these 11 verses, Peter is going to tackle the questions that perhaps are lodged most deeply in our lives. Peter, as you know, and I think you've been in this whole book this weekend, Peter is a leader amongst the disciples. He is being called to carry the good news, and particularly in this latter stage of his life, being called to carry the good news beyond the borders of Israel. And now he's writing this letter, one Peter written a number of years, decades after Jesus' earthly ministry. And he's writing this letter to, uh, in Rome, but to a bunch of persecuted Christians in what's known as Asia Minor. And he's writing to them really about hope in the midst of suffering. You see, God's people are an under, uh, a misunderstood minority, we might say. And they're living under a rule of a different king. God's people are not saying Caesar is Lord. They're attached to somebody else. And so that backdrop of suffering, that backdrop of persecution, lies behind the entirety of 1 Peter. But especially this section, really. I call this section uh, a, a suffering sandwich. Because if you read it, if you look at the headings in your Bible, you'll see just before this section, Peter talks about suffering for doing good. Just after this section, Peter talks about suffering for being a Christian. And so having covered things like election and ethics and community and mission, now Peter unpacks, okay, well, what does suffering mean for all of these things? Peter picks up in this section the thought he offered back in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And it's like Peter's now coming back to that thought to kind of pull it apart and expand it a bit. And say, okay, well, what does that mean? How can we look at this a little bit more? Just for a moment to yourself, just think, what do I have in my life which causes people to ask the question, why? What in your life currently makes particularly, we might say, non-believers, people who do not know Jesus, to look at your life and think, oh, why does she do that? Why does he do that? What are the things which provoke questions by the decisions that you make? In these 11 verses, Peter's going to look at the things that can cause surprise in others. And the division is fairly simple. Verses 1 to 6 talks about really about what was. And in verse 7 to 11, we'll talk about well, what is or what could be. And from this, we're going to draw some thoughts on attitude, approach, and then application. So let's begin with attitude. Verse 1 of our reading. As I said, attitude, I believe, is this inner work to ensure that we're facing the right direction. There's no point in pursuing the future if we're looking in the wrong way, we'll end up at the wrong place. And Peter knew this was a community which needed some realignment. There'd been suffering, that had been a backdrop, but the outcome had been a fairly reckless, wild living. Peter's teachings throughout this passage is, is based upon his time spent with Jesus. If you remember back to the gospel stories, uh, Jesus tells the disciples, you know, I need to die and be raised again. And Peter says, no you don't. 
That's not how I've pictured the future. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. But then it's interesting. Then what he says is this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So the way navigating the future, if you're a disciple of Jesus, is about taking up your cross, denying yourself and following him. That's what our future looks like. That is what we're committed to. And so this is some of the hardest work that we have to do as disciples. And I think it's what informs Peter here as he's thinking about this. Because he's constantly thinking about, oh, what happened when I spent time with Jesus? As I think about my future, as I think about the things I was involved with, what did Jesus do? And he's constantly going back to that as his frame of reference. So he begins, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is finished with sin. Disciples, when you're thinking about your future, you're not sent in the world as vacationers on holiday, but you're almost like soldiers on a tour of duty. That there's something there within this passage which wants us to realise that actually what we're being sent out to is something very important and real. This is not a command so much as an activity of reorientating your life. Of saying, okay, as I think about the future, as I think about navigating, it's about a reorientation that needs to happen. Peter's aligning here with Paul. If you read Romans 6, uh, verse 8 to 12, you'll see Peter's teaching in this section is very similar to that. You'll know perhaps a very famous hymn within Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 5 to 11 begins to have that same attitude of Christ. Paul knew, okay, let's make sure, as followers, our attitude matches Jesus. And now Peter's picking this up and says, you've got to have the same attitude of Jesus. That's essential. And that's not that easy. Having that attitude is something that we're not naturally going to find. Sometimes it will take work. As part of my uh, ministry, certainly my ordained ministry, I've had to take um, quite a few funerals. And quite often at funerals, I'll sit down with the family beforehand and I'll say, you know, is there anything you'd like? And then they quite often will say, uh, Frank, I'm just making up the name, Frank, you know, amazing. We would love one particular song at his funeral. And before they've told me what the song is, I know what the song is. And the song is My Way by Frank Sinatra. And it always struck me because... That song, the final verse of that song goes like this. For what is a man, what has he done? If not himself, then he has not. To say all the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blaze, but I did it my way. And of course, we include that song. But it never gives them much solace. It never seems to satisfy the thing that they were deep down looking for and wanting to remember somebody's life. And in many ways, 1 Peter 4 and you won't find this in any commentary, is the antithesis of Frank Sinatra's My Way. In many ways, it's saying, actually, it's not your way. It's Jesus' way. That's what your attitude. It's not about carving a life which says, I did it my way. That what we want to attain, what we want to live for at the end, is to say, actually, there's somebody who pursued in her or his life doing things Jesus' way. That's what matters. Peter says the outcome of this, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You know, you can choose either God's will or your own will as the way to navigate your life. 
And that's not a choice that you'll make today, and then that's it, you're on that path. It's a choice you'll have to make every single day. Every single day you'll have to say, actually, is it my will today or your will? Am I going to do things what I want or am I going to pursue what God wants? It's an intentional choice we have to make. But as disciples, we are called to live in a very different way to the world. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to live in a way which is completely different to the world that we occupy. And sometimes the world can be so confusing. And I think as we think about our vocation, as we think about calling, we can think, I feel so alien to this world. Like there's nothing within this world that I recognise. I don't know about you, but there's so much happening now, which I'm like, it just makes no sense to me. I think part of that is me just getting older. Particularly in technology. Particularly on those things I'm like, oh, I, I used to think I was so good at this stuff. But now the world makes no sense to me. Let me give you one example, because it completely blew my mind. Does anyone know what an NFT is? Just raise a hand if you know an NFT. Oh, wow, you're all far better than me. So, this is, I'm, I only know this because I've Googled heavily around this, but NFT, non-fungible token. So a fungible thing is something that you can trade. If you've got a £10 and I've got a £10, we can trade that. It's the same value. A non-fungible thing is something which has uniqueness. It doesn't have uh, a matching corresponding value. I only discovered this because I read about something called CryptoPunks. Uh, and does anyone know what crypto... Well, first of all, does anyone own a CryptoPunk? No, there was 10,000 of these created back in 2017. So five years ago, these things were created. Little 24 by 24 pixel images. So just a tiny little image of a person, the head of a person. And it caught my eye because they got sold. Each one got sold for $1,600. And I was like, that seems crazy that somebody would buy something for $1,600. But that's the kind of thing I should have thought, well, what does that mean? Well, it got sold. One of them got sold last month for $23.7 million. In five years, this thing has just skyrocketed in value. And I just thought, you know what, that makes no sense. I am so out of touch with what the world values. And yet, that made me think about my calling. It made me think about, well, what is God calling me to? Because certainly I'm not pursuing earthly wealth or earthly riches. But equally, I am pursuing the question of, I want to know what people value. I want to know. I want to know what people are putting their trust in, what people are pursuing. Even if it makes no sense, I, I want to learn more about these things, not so I can critique it, but so I can show them, actually, I've got something to share with you which is worth more value than a crypto punk. And so it's those kind of things where I'm thinking, okay, I need to wrestle with, even though I'm not of this world, so to speak, even though we are not of this world, there's something that we need to speak into this world as we navigate the future. And it's okay that the world is different. Quite often the world is bonkers. But we are not called to be of this world. We know that the world thinks differently on so many things at the moment about relationships, about money, about family, about life, about death, about sex. And we see that in this passage. That can be very hard when we think differently. It can be very hard when we think differently and we decide to pursue that call on our lives. And I think the church has a, a responsibility in this area. I, I used to be a stockbroker. And if there's any stockbrokers in here, it's, it's a good and noble thing. I'm not, I'm not demeaning it. But I decided to stop being a stockbroker and I became a missionary. And I went overseas and lived overseas for a number of years. But what struck me and why I share that is when I told my friends, hey, I'm going to quit being a stockbroker 
and I'm going to be a missionary. And my church friends pretty uniformly asked me, why? Why are you doing that? You're so set up, you're about to earn big money. Like, why take the risk? My family, my siblings, they were like, that is so selfish. Like, in terms of providing for things. And it was my stockbroking friends and my non-Christian friends who went, that is amazing. What a radical decision. And it just struck me that we can't have a lower understanding of vocation within the church. That we're called to radical things. Now, I would say it's equally as radical if you've been a missionary to go and be a stockbroker and be an amazing Christian stockbroker. It's not that journey that I'm saying, but I'm saying actually as a church, when we hear about the way that God is calling people, we should be the ones who are cheering them on and encouraging them, not pouring cold water on it. But it's okay, I've forgiven my sisters now, and I only occasionally mention it in sermons. Um, Peter writes, don't live your past. Don't live like your past, but live for the future. He says, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Chapter 4, verse 4. That word surprise means the people are they're shocked. They're dumbfounded. They're astonished. And you may have had this. When you've talked about your vocation, and you've talked about, hey, this is what I'm thinking for the future, you may have had that kind of response to people, where people mean, you know, you mean God doesn't want you to have fun? So you think you're some kind of saint? You think you're better than we are? What do you mean you don't do that? There can always be that kind of pushback when we begin to think about these things. About, okay, well, as I navigate this, there will be some inevitable pushback. But if we can name it, then we can deal with it. There's notice in Peter's words, there's an implicit argument that the pleasures of sin, they're not going to satisfy because they offer an out-of-control way of life. And then the explicit argument is he said, you will stand before Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead, and you will have to give an account to the one, the only one who can give life. And so I think navigating the future, we have to say those three things. We have to say, okay, I need to adopt the attitude of Jesus. First of all, I need to get that attitude of Jesus, even if it means suffering. Secondly, that will result in me pursuing the will of God, whatever that looks like. And there's no set formula. It can look like all sorts of different things. And as we do that, there may be some pushback. But we can name it and we can expect it. But what it might look like, I suggest, is it will look very different to the world around you. It will look very different to the world that we occupy. Because we are not made for this world. Peter then, verse 7, he begins to say, well, is there a better way? Is there something we can do differently? Peter, you've named all these things that were part of our past life. Are we called now to live in a different way? He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. For Peter... The end of all things near, he's not thinking of it like a time. He's not thinking, oh, there's a date coming. But he is thinking, actually, the end of all things are near. There's been a consummation happening where there's only one thing left to happen. For Peter, he understands that the kind of great narrative of God has been reaching this one particular point, And now all things are ready for one event. And the, the event is Jesus' return and rule. And so when we look at this, 
We see that Peter is expectant for Jesus' return. God's great universal plan is being worked out through creation, through fall, through Israel, through Jesus Christ, through the age of the church which he lived in and we live in. It all waits for the great consummation which is the new creation where Jesus will return. And so Peter says the end of all things is near. So you've got to be alert and sober minded. Our future is known in that regard. That's what we're longing for. That's what we pray for. But we need to know how to navigate. And so Peter turns then to the practical effects of, okay, if we know that that's what we long for, we long for Jesus to return, how does that change the way we're going to navigate the days, the weeks, the months, the years, the decades ahead until that happens? And we do not know. Peter doesn't get hung up on when that will happen or how that will happen or where that will happen. He just asks, well, so what? So what should that mean for the way that we navigate our lives? And interestingly, his thoughts seem to turn to Monday, Thursday. Peter, in, you'll notice in 1 Peter 4, there's a lot of things which seem to chime, particularly with John and John 13, and this narration of Monday, Thursday. In John 13, we read about the upper room, the Last Supper, the foot washing. And if you look at that chapter, Peter's name is all over that chapter five times in John 13. And now, Peter seems to be remembering back to say, okay, if I'm going to write to this community suffering in Asia Minor, I'm going to write about what I learned from my time with Jesus. And so he thinks what happened with Jesus, and his thinking seems to be located on the final 24 hours of Jesus' earthly ministry, in many regards. And we'll see that as we work through these next few verses. He offers three approaches, and it's kind of contrasting what he was saying before. The first is he says you need to love each other. You remember in those first verses he says we mustn't lust. So it's like love, not lust. Second, he says we need to offer hospitality to one another. So hospitality, not debauchery. And thirdly, we need to serve each other. So we need to look to others, not idols. So let's just unpack those quickly and then we'll turn to the super practical. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multiple, a multitude of sins. Verse 8. The primary command that Jesus taught on Monday, Thursday, if you like, was this. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. John writes, we love because he first loved us. Paul writes, love never fails. Peter knew that love is something that grows and he had to work at it. We each have that experience. That in navigating our future and thinking about Peter is particularly writing about what it means to be in a Christian community is we have to love each other. I don't know about your relationships with each other, but I do know there's a command in Scripture that you are to love each other. Not just the people you're sat next to, but the people on the other side of the room. The people that you're hoping you don't bump into this weekend. We are called to love each other. And love grows, but it's difficult. I've got two little ones, as J.K. says, and at the moment... um, they like, to, they like to step on my toes, basically. They're forever wanting me to come and kind of walk, you know, where you put children on your feet and walk them around. And I had a friend around the other day, and he said something profound. I don't think he realised how profound it was, um, but it was profound. He said, <coughs> my boy Gabriel was doing this. And I was like, oh, does this ever stop? He's got teenagers. And he said, a toddler will step on your feet, but a teenager will step on your heart. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> It's like, where did that come from? But we know, don't we, that from personal experience, 
the more we spend time with someone, sometimes it can be harder to love them, not easier. And yet, we also know that love grows. That as we know more about someone, as we fall more in love with them, that actually there's something, God is doing some deep work inside of us. That love can, in that sense, cover over a multitude of sins. And that we as a community, we as a church, I mean, part of that fellowship that we're going to have to look over the small and minor offences, but equally we're going to have to face some larger ones and be ready to, to forgive and to move on. That's part of what our future will look like, is saying, okay, if I'm going to be part of this loving community, if I'm going to be a person which is called to love others, then can I do that? Because we are called to love each other deeply. So whatever you're thinking about your future vocation and calling, you're called to love. When I interview people to come and study at St. Lighters College, or people to work at the college, I have three basic questions, and I ask it in different ways. But my three basic questions are, do you love Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, this is not the place for you. Secondly, do you love the church? Because, I'll be honest with you, and I know this has been recorded, sometimes the Church of England is really hard to love. But you have to kind of be committed. And then thirdly, do you love other people? Because if you don't love others, if you don't long to see people meet Jesus, then it's going to be a tough game. Peter says, you know, you need to love deeply. That needs to define who we are. Secondly, we need to offer hospitality. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Again, thinking back, Peter must have been thinking about that last supper. And not once, and I've read John 13 about a million times, looking for the point where Jesus complains that Judas showed up. But it's not there. He offered hospitality without grumbling. You see, one of the most remarkable meals of Peter's life has now shaped his spirituality, if you like. Hospitality is a mark of spiritual maturity. If we can, be, if we can show hospitality to others, then it can really begin to shape the way we think about the future. Instead of viewing people as objects to be used and parties as opportunities to pursue selfish pleasure, hospitality is the intentional decision to take the initiative to bless people. It's a visual representation of the gospel. It reminds people, when we extend hospitality, it reminds somebody, you are made in the image of God and I want to serve you. And that's important. Paul comments the same thing in Galatians. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So I think in part of thinking about your vocation, you need to think about how can I use what God has given me to bless others? How can I extend hospitality? How can that become part of who I am? How can that be part of the way I navigate the future to say, actually, this is something that I'll be made intentional. And you do it in all sorts of different ways. And I know this from personal experience. Whatever you do, you receive far more blessing than you can give out. As I said, I was a missionary. I went to three different places. I went to Arctic Canada, South Africa, and North India. And in every place, I received far more than I was given. At Sunday, at the moment, we've had to become very intentional in our house because... You know, you get busy and there's things to happen. But on a Sunday after church, what we've said is, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have six people around every Sunday. And we're going to invite three in advance. And we're going to say, Lord, please identify the other three people in church this morning. And we'll invite them. And we've told our kids, so our little boy knows. So he knows he can invite someone. 
but we just want to make it intentional. And to be honest, some of those meals have been a disaster. <laughs> but they've also created a remarkable sense of community. Finally, Peter writes, or in this section anyway, serve others. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know, when Peter thinks about what it means to serve others, when anyone asks the question, what does serving others look like? I just figure that you must think of looking down and seeing Jesus washing his feet. There must have been no more powerful image. He's just declared, you are the Messiah. And now the Messiah is washing his feet. John 13, 1 to 17, I think. But Peter says here, whatever gift you have, use it. He uses that word. Each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others. As you think about what your future holds, you need to in some way wrestle with that question. Okay, well... In what way am I being called to use the gifts that God has given me to serve other people? And every one of you has gifts, I guarantee you. You know what one of my main giftings is? Spreadsheets. I love them. But I say that because, you know, it's something that God can use in me. Now, of course, it's spiritual gifts. I'm I'm not saying that those things are not real. But each of you will have something within you which God can use for the purpose of his kingdom. That God can use in your, as you're navigating the future, as you're thinking about what, what is God calling me to, there'll be something within each of you which God can use. So as disciples, we are called to armour ourselves. We are called to think about our approach. What does that mean? We're called to navigate our way through the future in a way which makes sense for us, but also is almost otherworldly. And the starting point for us as Christians in a community, as Holy Trinity Clapham, I think will be to love each other, to offer hospitality, and to serve others. If you like, they're the three benchmarks. And then it's from those things, start there, then we can begin to think about vocation and calling and things like that. And so that's what I just want to unpack now, is that we've got... 15 more minutes. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know, it's a great privilege for me to meet people and just to hear what God has been doing in their life. And normally it's a question of saying, okay, well, what is God saying to you today? And where is God calling you to tomorrow? And there are two questions I'd like you to think about. What is God saying to you today? And where is God calling you to tomorrow? The first thing I want to say is every calling matters. There is a misnomer that the only way to serve in the church is to be ordained. And having been involved in training up lots and lots of church leaders in this country, so often the most gifted and talented people are not the ordained ones. But it's those who are faithfully serving. It's those who are giving their time and their energies and their money and their prayers. But they're, they're doing it out of love. You see, the church, we need Christian bus drivers and bankers and bakers. Whatever thing you're involved in now, it is something which is important to the overall economy of God. That actually we're not called to detach ourselves from the world in that way. 
but we're called to live out our vocation, our calling, wherever God has put us. So in your nine to five, your Monday to Friday, or, or whatever it might be, I would want to say that actually God will use you in that place. And it's exciting to think what that could look like. As fruitful discipleship, whatever your front line is, and living out the gospel where you work and play and live can be so very exciting. And you may be here thinking, great, I'm committed to that. But I'm feeling a nudge towards ordination. I'm feeling a nudge towards what might be if I were to pursue church leadership in some way. And that's exciting as well. And I want to say, boy, please do consider it. The church needs her leaders. The church needs men and women who are going to give their life to that. But we need leaders who are committed to love each other, hospitality and serving others. If you're longing for a spotlight in an auditorium of 1,000, church leadership is not for you. If you want to serve, if you want to get your hands dirty, if you want to meet people, if you want to love people, then it's a great question to be asking, okay, well, how could I pursue that? What could that look like? I'd encourage you to have a conversation with Jago, have a conversation with Jamie Mulvaney, with Tim, people who have pursued that call, and just ask them, you know, why did you do what you did? There's really one reason why I became ordained. And that was because my best friend was saying, no, Jesus. And I could see no church to which to invite them to. And God just put it on my heart. Well, why don't you offer yourself? It's nothing more complex than that, really. Now, of course, there's other things which mattered. But I just felt God put that on my heart. But okay. I'm from Derby. I grew up in Derby. I was like, I I would love there to be a place where my best friends would be comfortable, where they'd be welcomed and loved and do all those things. And so that, for me, was a trigger. When we begin to think about calling, we can, we can think of reasons why we shouldn't do it. If you ever read Exodus 3 and 4, and I recommend it, it's in the Bible, so read Exodus 3 and 4. But what you'll see is Moses is brilliant, because if we talk about Moses, he's like a hero of the faith, isn't he? Moses is amazing. But read Exodus 3 and 4. Moses comes up with every excuse possible why he shouldn't pursue God's call on his life. He says, uh, you know, I'm not qualified to do this. He says, I don't know enough theology. He says, it won't work, God. He says, it's not my gift. And he says the most 21st century excuse of all. He says, I just don't want to, God. And yet God uses Moses powerfully. So often we can come to this and we can think of the excuses why God may not use us or why it might not work. And yet God will continue to look past and say to you, I am who I am. That is, I will be who I will be as you continue to spend time with me. And so we are longing, longing to see a generation of leaders who maybe will put up their hands, lay and ordained, and say, actually, I'd love to pursue that call I'd say if that's you the best place and I'm sure you're all doing this already the best place to start is to start with serving I'm most impressed with those people who are the ones who quietly serve without that need for the limelight that seem to have been reading John 13 and say actually what does Jesus do and how can I emulate that I think secondly, we need to um, bust some myths about what it looks like. You know, some people, when you think about studying, becoming a church leader, you think, you know what, that's just for an elite 
few. That is only for certain people. But theology is, is for everyone, in a sense. The study of theology, the study of leadership, the study of what it means to pursue God's call in your life is something that we all can be engaged with. The question is not whether are you going to be a theologian or not. The question is are you going to be a good one or a bad one. And that question really is underpinned as, are you coming into this? When you, the more you study theology, it doesn't give you all the answers, but it will give you better questions. And that's the joy. That is the joy of studying God. That is the joy of committing to any kind of training or anything like that, where you're saying, as I think about the future, I would like to learn more about you, Lord. And in many ways, that's what this weekend is about. You could have been doing anything this weekend. But you've chosen to be here, you've chosen to invest in your part in this community, you've chosen to sit in this seminar on a Saturday afternoon, you've chosen to get out your Bibles to read it, to hear the same passage read three times in a way. Because you're hungry, because you're thirsty. So I would encourage you to have those conversations. If you're thinking about ordination as a particular calling, if you're thinking, okay, well what would it look like? Let me just finish with some very practical stuff. The first thing I'd say is talk to people that you trust. Talk to people who know you. It can be your church leader, small group leader, a spouse or friends, those who know you best, and talk to God about it. My number one tip if you're thinking about a court ordination is get away from your phone and from London, but get some, get some space where you can walk and listen to God where you can just create that space where you can hear what he wants to say to you. Secondly, pursue opportunities. At HTC, there is loads of opportunities to serve. So begin to say, actually, as I'm pursuing this, as I'm thinking about this, what would it look to serve like in this context, in this place? And so begin to pursue those things and become active in it. One of the questions we always ask at interview is we have people who want to come along and study with us. We're like, oh, well, what's your involvement like in the local church? And, you know, it's a struggle when people say to me, oh, I don't really go. I don't kind of, church is not part of my Christianity. I'm like, that's, what's happening? Well, you know, I watch different sermons online, Tim Keller. And I love Tim Keller. I can't get enough of it. But I need to be in a community. So I'd say, you know, look for that engagement. Look for those opportunities. And then help yourself... By beginning to discern that call. And there's lots of structures which will help you do that. But get engaged in that process with people who will love you in that process. And there's loops that you have to jump to, or hoops that you have to jump to, and all of those things. But it's worth pursuing. It's worth saying, H.K. Lord, I want to have your attitude. That's, that's, I'm facing that direction. I'm aligning myself with you. And yet I'm part of this Christian community and I'm going to make these foundational things matter. But as part of that, if you wanted to step into something new and consider ordained leadership, I would say have those conversations. I would say find the people who are doing it already a bit further down the line and ask them questions. And then just begin to push on some doors. And what I've seen over and over again is nobody is ineligible. There's examples throughout scripture of people being called. Peter was called uneducated, and Jesus built the church on him. Caleb was an old man when he was called into ministry, 85 years old. He was more fruitful than ever. The first people who discovered 
or announce the resurrection of Jesus was women. And so whatever it is, there is a calling, I believe, on all of our lives, be it to ordain leadership or not. But it's worth pursuing. And then if you do go ahead with this, then you may begin ordination training. If you were to commit to this, then there will be a season of training, a season where the church is saying, actually, we want to invest in the kind of person you're becoming. And so you may end up at an institution like St. Melitis College. And what we're going to do with you is we're going to say, we want you to love Jesus, love God, uh, love Jesus, love the church, and love others. But we're going to say, how are you becoming more and more Christ-like? How are you becoming more and more like Jesus? That's what your training will look like. And then when I meet people who have trained at St. Melitis, when I see Jamie, or I see Tim, or people, what do we hope for those who have trained with us? Well, to be honest, if I see alumni from 10 years ago, I just hope that they're still reading their Bible. I hope they're still saying their prayers. I hope they're still living the church. That's what our calling is. That's what I hope the future is for me and for all those we train. Now, I'm happy, I'm conscious of the time, I'm happy to pick up any specific questions about ordination. You may have questions about what it could look like. You may have questions about... um, how it relates to you. You may have been hurt by the process in the past, or you may just have questions about what it could look like in the future. And I'm happy just to hang around and answer those questions. But I just wanted to kind of say that broadly, but really bring us back to that point that Peter wants to make. Align your life with Jesus. Have his attitude. And so when you think about navigating the future, you'll be facing the right direction. I'd love to pray and then come back. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that through your word you promise to speak to us and every time you honour that promise. And Lord, I want to pray for myself and every single person here you will have known the kind of narrative and the story that we each come with. You will have known the questions that we're wrestling with even at this very moment. You know us, you count the number of hairs on our head, you, you know everything about us. And so Lord, I pray through the work of your Holy Spirit that you would continue to speak to us and continue to show us how to navigate what is ahead. Lord, we thank you for all those that encourage us. May we be people of encouragement to others. And above all, may we remain faithful to you, no matter what the consequences of life are. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.